creative, musical, and resilient. You are listening to The Brave Files, real stories from people living courageously. You can listen to the show anywhere you enjoy podcasts, and we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, and we appreciate it. Now here's your host, Heather Vickery. Hi, everybody. This is Heather Vickery. Welcome to The Brave Files. Today's guest is Emily Ann Peterson, and after spending two decades as a cellist and a cello teacher, she was diagnosed with a degenerative neurological hand tremor that forever altered the course of her life. In an act, though, of neurological defiance, and I love that description, she expanded her wider medium and broke through her creative glass ceiling, which is something I hope all of you are trying to do. She opened the doors to limitless possibilities through songwriting. I think that's incredible. She also published a book called Bare Naked Bravery, which is clearly right up my alley. And I am super delighted to welcome her to the show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. This is, I'm excited about this. This will be fun. Yeah, me too. I think that we're going to have a lot of fun. And I am hoping you'll give us just a little bit of quick background on, on who you are and, and what um, your life was like before this. And then we can start talking about what changed it. Sure. So f- up until five, about five years ago, I was a full-time musician and cellist. And I was living in the Seattle area, doing concerts, playing performances, doing recording sessions. And I had like 30 plus cello students of all ages. I was teaching, if you're familiar at all with any like pedagogical methods, I was teaching the Suzuki, <laughs> the Suzuki method. Okay. So anytime you see like a little, a little baby playing violin or some string instrument, usually they're probably taking Suzuki lessons. All right. So yeah, um, I loved it. It was, it was, and still in some ways is a calling. Um, I could talk for days about like the economy of movement and how to express yourself through friction and sound and and I still talk about those things. I just don't use a cello to do that, you know? Yeah. But up until that point, that was all I had. Like, that was the only method that I had, or I guess I should say, like, the environment in which I had discussed all of those subjects. So I was, I loved it. It was such a great life and living. And, and I think it's it's rare that someone can be a full-time musician. Yes, I, I, yes, I know a ton of people in the arts in general, and it's a lot of work to make that your full-time gig. Yeah. And I started in the middle of the recession. So I graduated from college with a degree in business management and then moved up to Seattle thinking, oh, well, I want to do music business of some sort. Okay. Um, and I pinged around the industry with various different internships and jobs and things. So I was doing music licensing and syncing and intellectual property law and at record labels and booking and PR and all those kinds of things. So I basically had a finger in all the pies (laughs) and decided that it was time to stop ignoring the fact that I was, I was tired of selling music Mm. and I was ready to make music. And so I think out of what I think or see of it as now is I was a little bit scared to make the music myself. 
And so I chose to teach people how to make music. So that was like still me like holding, holding creativity at an arm's distance. That makes a lot of sense to me that you wanted to be close to it, but it was scary. So you found a way to do it. Yeah. And I think that's total one, totally fine. And two, it's very common in the music realm that people would like, they love music so much that they're willing to just do anything to be near it. Um, even though it really terrifies them. (laughs) So yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think anything that we feel so deeply passionate about Mm -hmm. that could, that could be maybe taken away. Right. I think almost you're when fear gets to you like that, it's because if you get that close to it, you're afraid you're going to lose it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I totally get that. I, I want to ask about your diagnosis. But before I do that, um, I loved the passion in your voice about teaching and about friction. What was it that made you want to be in that space? What was it that really connected that with you and, and just spoke to you? Um, in high school, I had an eating disorder and I know that kind of out of left field, but I look back on my recovery process and I can see that the most tender, most vulnerable places in my story of my eating disorder and health and staying alive, I was able to stay alive because I had a form of expression Oh, and eating disorders are, are, typically not always a result of a lack of expression in some way or feeling like you can't be your full self. And so I just have always had this deep gratitude and um, I'm like almost tearing up now. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> really beautiful. This, there's, you know, a lot of people who say like music saved my life, but I, I am the one, not the one, but one of the ones who can say that it actually did Yeah, in a very real way. Um, yeah. That gives me chills too. I feel like we could have a whole interview just on this and not totally. even talk about all of the other amazing, crazy, wild things that have happened for you. Um, it gives me chills, any form of yeah, self-expression. That's lovely. I'm going to re-listen to that, I think over and over and, and find inspiration from that. So then let's talk about what happened um, five years ago. So, um, I was dating this guy who was very, um, he noticed a lot of details and I had been kind of trying to ignore the fact that my hand was shaking for a couple Mm. months and I was noticing we were having dinner one night and I was noticing that my fork was shaking in my hand. And I just kind of said like, really like, matter of fact, like, that's funny. My hand's shaking. And he said, yeah, it's been shaking for a while. Oh my gosh. And I was how old were you when this happened? How old? uh, I was 20. Oh my gosh. I was 26. Okay. So young. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and so when he said like, yeah, it's been shaking for a couple months, it occurred to me that, oh, other people were noticing it and it wasn't just me you know, mm-hmm. like think yeah. I wasn't crazy. Um, <laughs> and it kind of stayed like that for a couple months. And then at, I just wasn't thinking anything of it. Just kind of like, well, maybe it's too much caffeine, you know, or maybe I'm nervous or stressed mm-hmm. out or whatever, you know. Um, and then the day that I heard the tremor through my cello was the day that I called my doctor. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. It, 
I mean, by that point I had been playing the cello for almost two decades and in, in, and not just in a casual way, in a very intellectual, so much study and education had gone into learning how to use my muscles to make the sounds that my brain imagined and to have there be a disconnect between that after so many years, I knew that it wasn't me. There wasn't anything I was doing wrong in my technique, that it was something completely out of my control. And so my general practitioner, when she saw it, because it looks like the beginnings of Parkinson's. Parkinson's, that's what I wondered. Mm-hmm. And so she was really kind of scared. Sure. <laughs> and, and so she practically held my hand as we walked up to the neurologist office. And he said, yeah, you have you have an essential tremor. And he asked a couple questions about family history. And I remembered that my great-grandfather, when he was pointing at the pears in the pear tree in their backyard, that his hand was shake, would shake. Wow. And then my grandmother's head kind of shakes, wiggles a little bit when she talks and things like that. So um, it, it, it was obvious to all of us that it was obviously is hereditary and which side of the family it comes from. And, and then he, you know, proceeded to prescribe me a medication and then that one didn't work. So we did another medication. And the, uh, when he was prescribing me the second medication, I had done my like Googling research so I kind of understood the ramifications of like what it meant for the future and what options there were out there. Especially given your, your chosen field. Right. Yeah. And I sat there in the doctor's office and while he's writing the second script, I remember asking him, so this isn't going to go away, is it? And he put down his pen and he took a deep breath and he said, no, I'm sorry, this is not going away. And that, I mean, I had like intellectually yeah. known, known that to be true already, but that was one of the moments that it sunk deeper into my being that like life was going to change a lot. And, you know, he, he, he was very sweet. I, I, he was, <laughs> was able to say, you know, things like, you are the kind of neural, like you are the kind of patient that I wake up for because the world needs more music. And, you know, gives me chills. I know I'm going to start. The world does need more music. (laughs) The world needs more music and we need you to be making music. So let's do what we can to get you the stability that, um, that you can have in the rest of your, in the rest of your life. So that's, you know, yeah. misty-eyed misty-eyed conversations and and beautiful moments like that um so yeah you are not able to play the cello i am able to you play are. but it sounds like the cello is scared so it's not oh. rather than having like a wah sound it sounds like <laughs> so um do you I, play I, it anyway I do still play it. I um I have a kind of side project that I don't talk a lot about called Cello Yoga. Um and I released an album last year of new cello yoga music. So I love um, that. Yeah. You'll, you'll send us the links. We can have all of that on the show yeah. notes, right? All That's really yeah. cool. I mean, what I love just, about if that you search if you just search cello yoga on Spotify or iTunes, it'll come up. 
That's so cool. What I particularly love about that is that even though it isn't, and I'm going to use the word perfect, nothing's perfect, but this finely tuned, trained thing that you've spent so much time perfecting, it's honest and it's yours and you found a way to still make it powerful. And that is extraordinary. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I still don't, I, I don't play a lot of cello, but I do know that like the cello yoga project is really, is fun for me. And it uses a skill that I have, which is I can compose something on the fly and I can, I have this, you know, incredible proficiency in this one particular instrument. So I might as well use it while I can. Um, but it, it has changed. The diagnosis has changed the way in which I use those skills. So like before I would be doing something like playing live and there would be no recording or it'd be just for fun or it would be like to help a friend's album release or something like that. But I think what's happened is I now value that skill so much that I'm not willing to just like throw it around yeah. like, you know, um, I don't know what you would throw around, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Um, it's precious. Yeah. So, yeah the, uh, the economy of my skill has changed a lot. Like there is now lower supply. And so that means there's a greater demand in some respects, but it also means sure. the price of that supply has increased drastically. So yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much gift in that phrase in that thought that you just shared for all of us, right? Like totally. There's just so much to to digest with that this concept of your skill, your gift having more value, less time, more busy, their thing whatever your reason is and for you, are you is this going to get continuously worse for you or will it stay at the level that it's at? So that was one of the things in, you know, why I changed or pivoted the way that my music career looks because now I do songwriting and any performances I give are singer songwriter kinds of performances. So I don't, I don't use cello in a public way right now. Um, But to answer your question, the, I basically looked at, what are the skills that I have left? And um, and knowing that the tremor is going to get worse, but okay. we don't know how bad it's going to get. So it might just stay in my hand forever. It might spread to other body parts. It might spread to my voice even. Um, but we don't know if it is. And we don't know that if if or when it does spread, how bad those tremors are going to get. So basically, I'm living this very different biological clock. Most 31-year-olds like myself are, are, are like looking at having kids, but yeah. I'm looking at like, no, if I only have X amount of skill and um, time physical, for skill. Yeah. yeah, if I don't only have X amount of physical capability left, I want to be utilizing, utilizing that in the most best um, and respectful way possible. I want to respect what's, what's there. So I, that's amazing to me. And this idea and still to find it, you know, we, I always say it's okay, slow down, we have time. And here you are, you just don't, you just don't know that. And and what's interesting is that none of us know that 
Of course. You know? Right. And, of and course. So in some ways, nothing has changed, but in other ways, everything has changed, you know? Mm. So you've mentioned that you now are a songwriter, which I think is lovely. And one of the things that I read from you is that you write songs for people who struggle to remember what hope feels like yeah. and sings to those who yearn for something secret. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think, you know, when I lay out all the songs that I write, like lay them all out on the table or something, I see that there are these common threads of, you know, the contrast between pain and pleasure and how they relate to each other or the contrast between beautiful lives and hard tragedies. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's part of that secret is that all of us really love to feel that contrast. We may not love the way it feels when we're in one part, but like <laughs> that, that like transition from pain into pleasure that can feel ecstatic. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah. you feel it. Yeah. You feel it in a really deep, intense way, whether you enjoy that feeling or not, you can't deny it. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I am so honored to, you know, play out as a songwriter is to be a storyteller and um, kind of an archivist of some way. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the songs that I write are based on real stories. I have a song about um, the relationship between my aunt and my grandmother. And um, when I play, when I sent that rec recording, the demo recording to my aunt the first time, she called me back and said, it's, you know, tears in her eyes. She said, you just put words to grief that I never knew I had. Oh, wow. That's such a gift. Yeah. And I, and I was in tears and crying too. Yeah. Um, but those are things that like, I think our society, we have expression that we haven't expressed yet. And songwriters have a role in society to point out that emotion and to express it on behalf of our citizens, you know, fellow citizens and fellow humans. So um, lovely. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm wondering, you've stepped so powerfully into the brave side of this and you've done so many phenomenal things with this change that was thrown at you, but was it, was it easy? Were you like, well, then this is what I'll do. Or did it take a minute to go, okay, how am I going to get this done? Well, so after I was diagnosed, I was, well, I, before I was diagnosed, I was awarded a six week artist residency in the mountains of Leavenworth, Washington. Um, then I was diagnosed. And then like a month after I was diagnosed, I left for those six weeks. So it just so happened that the timing was like perfect, pretty perfect yeah. because as I was driving out to go like hold myself up in the snow for six weeks, um, I was at the beginnings of a very long uphill battle with mm. the grief of you know, at that time I was still, I would like introduce myself as, hi, my name is Emily Ann. I'm a cellist, like mm. practically the same thing as my name. So yeah, it was who you were. Yeah, it was. So those six weeks was part of the first part of the deconstruction of that identity, which was terrifying. I mean, anytime you have 
something so integral with who you are and you know you have to change it, um, that can be a really painful process. I mean, whether we're talking divorce or death of a child or cancer or like anything that might happen to us, um, anything that threatens that identity or threatens to deconstruct that identity can be really terrifying. So I, while I was in the mountains, I, I call it creatively sulking, uh, cause I did not <laughs> play the cello. I chose instead to just noodle around on the keyboard that I had brought with me, which was not my express intention when I applied for the residency. So this was all kind of like, I felt like a rebel and also yeah. kind of lazy too. Cause I felt like I had spent, you know, decades playing this instrument and now here I was, being awarded six weeks to just do whatever creative thing I wanted to. And I was like, was I wasting it? You know, like, was I wasting that time working on other things? And we all um, fight that battle. I had a conversation with a client yesterday. Anytime she does anything that's not teaching her or expanding her. So if she jumps on Facebook or she watches TV, she feels guilt for not pushing herself to be better. I was like, you know, we all, we all get to relax or change the plan sometimes. It's okay. Right. 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 Well, so what I, what happened in in those six weeks was I realized I was not just a cellist, that I was a musician and that I wasn't just a musician. I was a songwriter. Um, I came out of the, the mountains with like a handful of songs that I was like, these aren't great, but they're pretty good. And I think maybe I should keep doing this. That is so cool. And, and so I knew that if I was going to take those next steps to pivot and do songwriting, that I was going to have to be brave. And I had no clue what bravery really was. And I'm the kind of person that needs to analyze and research and know all the details and the 10, 10 steps to do X, Y, Z. I researched it and had, you know, hundreds of conversations about it. And I realized that there are 12 ingredients of bravery three main ingredients and there are three forms of bravery and I have four favorite ways to build bravery and that's what's in the book bare naked bravery okay so is that what led to writing the book yeah yeah it was answering those questions for myself because I I was like I know I need to be brave and I have no earthly clue where to begin and none of these books that I'm reading are telling me the things that I need to know. Um, and so I wrote it because I knew that there was somebody else that I knew that there was going to be someone else who's going to go through a similar kind yeah. of situation and want to know, like, maybe there aren't like 12 linear steps, but there's at least 12 ingredients. Sure. And if you're missing one of the ingredients and you learn how to include and incorporate that into your life, it can make the bravery that you're experiencing and going through a lot easier. So bravery doesn't have to feel arduous, you know? So what are your four favorites? You said you had four favorites. Uh, Four favorite ways to build bravery. So those are, let me see if I can remember them. I meditate every day. I also do impermanent expression, impermanent writing every morning. I also do a lot of like mentorship and, Mm. and, mastermind kind of accountability kind of stuff. And then I surround myself with community. Yeah. Those all make a lot of sense to me. That's, that's what we talk about. Mm -hmm. Now those are not the, 
those are not the only four ways. Sure, to go. of course. Those are my favorite four. Yeah, so, I think they're great, and I encourage all of them. We talk a lot about that, even on the show, like when we talk about grounding rituals and ways for self care. So many of those pop up. I love those. Um, yeah. What has been the biggest struggle for you? I think something that causes a lot of friction is one of the 12 ingredients of bravery. So one of the things that causes friction in, in my life and in my story has been, I am a very motivated person in just pretty much anything. So Mm -hmm. when I put my mind to something, usually there's a lot of momentum behind that decision. Yeah. And so when you are driving a car really fast down the freeway and you suddenly realize that you need to like, oops, take a left turn. <laughs> those, those left turns can be pretty, um, chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> Jarring to say the so, least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what I have had to learn in just my personality style and the way that I put things out into the world is that, those decisions, those strategic decisions need to be made slowly and, and baby steps are better than, than big steps. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Well, so what's been your greatest joy from discovering this not great news to where you sit today? What's been something that you can call out as this has brought me so much joy and so much gratitude? I mean, I would have to say that like being introduced and being among the songwriters and the people who are able to connect others to stories and connect others to themselves, Mm. that is a really, like that is one of the greatest joys. You know, whenever I finish a concert or I finish talking with a, a, you know, client of mine or speak with another songwriter and I hear like, Oh, that song made me cry or wow. It gave me goosebumps or like, those are the moments that tell me that I'm going in the right direction. But they're also the ones that they're not just a confirmation. They're also like in part, like just the reason why I do what I do. Um, I dig that. So that's a great lead in to celebration how do you stop and honor each of these successes, whether they're just the little ones or the big ones? And as we all, I think eventually discovers the little ones are the big ones. Um, (laughs) But how do you stop and honor and celebrate those successes? Um, I have chocolate. Yes. And margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) Chocolate margaritas. I also take time to just be with people that I love and, you know, send text messages and with friends. I do a lot of traveling. And so a lot of my closest friends aren't in like physical proximity with me. So a lot of my celebrations happen via text message with my good friends. Yeah. I love that. That's great. And so as we come to the end of this show, I always ask what I consider my favorite question. My favorite part is what is your favorite charitable organization to support? Yes. I'm so glad you asked this question. So one of the, all the research that I did for Bare Naked Bravery, the book um, is available for the public to listen to. So you can, if you start at the beginning of the podcast, Bare Naked Bravery, you start from episode one and listen up to current date, you can hear me start to make a lot of these theories and 
um, Mm -hmm. connections. And one of the interviews I gave was with Troy Anderson, who's the founding and executive director for Speak Up for the Poor, which is a nonprofit organization that educates girls in India. And uh, it is, I I am so confident that if we can educate girls, that a lot of the problems that we're experiencing (laughs) right now are going to go away. And so if you really want to, you know, like have your money mean a lot, then spending it on education Mm -hmm. in general Mm -hmm. is great, but specifically spending it on education of girls in underdeveloped countries is even better. And I agree. Single mom of four girls, right? I'm all all about girl power, but I I think there's a lot to that. Awesome. I can't wait to share that organization with everyone. And yes, Emily Ann has um, her own podcast, which I think is going through some transition, but I'm excited to start at episode one because this journey and process for you just um, so calls to me. And I love, to me, even your, the way you speak is musical and lyrical. I I can hear that you're a songwriter and you connect with me in that way. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm going to learn more about cello yoga. I think that's very cool. Um, I'm like, it's basically, it's basically instrumental layers of cello. And each track is designed to correspond with like a cycle in a yoga class. So they're not the typical three to five minute length songs. They're like eight to 15 minute length okay. songs. So cool. they're good for meditation or other things. I cannot wait to check it out. I fun. cannot wait. <laughs> so can you share your three words with us one more time? Sure. Creative, musical, resilient. Yes. You embody those words. Often I ask more questions about the words at the end of the show, but I think you've, we've done a beautiful job. You've done a beautiful job of sharing why those are your words. It's so easy to identify those with you. And it's such a gift. This has been one of my favorite interviews. Um, Oh, thank you. I, I love this. This is great. Some of the stuff I don't get to talk yeah. about. Well, we try to talk kind of about the stuff that doesn't necessarily come up when we're promoting our businesses, right? We could dig in a little right. bit, but there's been so many moments in the last half an hour where I'm like, oh, yes, that, yes, I get that. I, I, I'm going to put that on Instagram or I love the way I get goosebumps. <laughs> and so thank you for reminding us of taking the time to assess and change and shift and, and have it be okay. Even when it doesn't feel great. And all of that, I think is just such a wonderful, wonderful gift. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I I would, I would say there are three reasons why people are brave. Um, one is that bravery is contagious. One is that, um, it's worth it. And the other is that it's needed. And so, you know, when, when we choose to be brave, if, you know, it's feeling difficult for some reason, usually it's because we've forgotten one of those three. Um, and sometimes it's because we've forgotten how much somebody's going to need you to do that brave thing. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Folks, I hope you enjoyed this just as much as I did. I am delighted to be here with you. I thank you for being on the journey with me, and I look forward to talking with you next week. This is Heather Vickery reminding you to choose bravely. 
The Brave Files is proudly supported by Lost Format Apparel, a socially conscious clothing company. You already know that homelessness is a huge problem. Over half a million Americans are living without shelter and millions more without consistent access to everyday basics. My friends at Lost Format know that solving homelessness is a much larger problem than any one company or person can solve on their own. It requires teamwork, sacrifice, strength, and building communities through personal and professional relationships. And isn't that exactly what the Brave Files podcast is all about? That's why I'm proud to say that the Brave Files has partnered with Lost Format. And together, we're working to change the face of consumerism in addressing homelessness. You can now get one of two fantastic shirts custom designed specifically for the Brave Files. Each order goes towards providing necessities to the homeless. We have one shirt that, of course, says choose bravely and another that reminds you that brave is always greater than fearless. Head on over to vickeryandco.com store to see both beautiful shirts and to check out the entire product line from Lost Format. All of their stuff is super soft and comfortable and has an amazing fit. Use promo code BRAVE to get 10% off of your Brave Files custom t-shirts. And if you have an order over $30, your shipping is free. I choose bravely to take the plunge to help solve homelessness. Are you with me? Thank you for listening to The Brave Files. Be sure to visit thebravefilespodcast.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. Music composed and produced by Matt Lewis of Union Music, LLC. Special thanks to our editor and audio mix expert, Andrew Olson. I am eternally grateful for all that he does to make each week sound so fantastic. You can hear more of Andrew's work at findandrewolson.com.